race, gender, sex. What's your identity? Is religion or faith part of your identity? Can you bring it into the workplace? Can your boss take care of the legal issues? Do they have an inclusion strategy? Are they literate in what religion means to you? Maybe they should give this podcast a listen. This is a Religion at Work podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Eric Servion, Deputy Director of the Tri-Faith Initiative. Welcome to the Religion at Work podcast. Today, our special guest is Emma Riffi, and she is an instructor over at the Department of Religion and Culture of Virginia Tech, PhD from the Department of Religious Studies, while from the University of Iowa, uh, graduate certificates in gender, women's, and sexuality studies in college teaching. And her work explores how both religion and secularism shape the everyday at the site of the body by highlighting Protestant culture's profound yet often overlooked impact on public life in the United States. Emma, thank you so much for joining us. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So let's get the basics out of the way. Tell us a little bit. I did the intro, but it sounds so much better coming from you, I promise. Tell me a little bit about your work and why it has become an important part of your life. Sure. Well, I am a religious studies scholar. Um, I studied religion um, during my undergrad, a bit during my master's, and now as a PhD student. I just graduated this May. Um, And like you said, I study the relationship between Protestantism and culture and how it impacts um, everyday life in the contemporary United States. So I'm most interested in what does this look like for average people in their daily lives? Not so much what does this look like you know, in the more elite circles or, you know, during special times, but how do we see this impacting life in the workplace, um, in school, um, just in public life in general? So um, that's, that's my main focus. And the way I um, attend to that is by exploring the role that I see Protestant culture playing in shaping the very particular iteration of secularism that we have here in the United States. So I attend to the ongoing relationship between Protestant culture and American secularism today. And before we, I even heard about this topic, I know I've known that culture has been impacted a lot by our very Protestant origins. And so I am very excited to dive a little bit deeper into what that means. But before that, for our listeners, so CEOs, managers, directors, DEI practitioners, tri-faith congregants, interfaith, people that just love interfaith stuff, why should this work be important to them? Sure, that's a great question and one that all scholars should be asked at some point. Um, And what I would say is that anyone interested in interrogating the impact of intersecting identity categories like race or gender or sexuality on individual and social outcomes like health, happiness, wellness, success, and fulfillment, both in private and in public, would do well to attend to what I think of as Protestant privilege in these matrices. So, I have find in my work that there is a privileging of a particularly Protestant way of moving through and engaging with the world embedded in the particular secularism of the United States. So it's not something we pick up on directly, but but there are ways in which 
a Protestant orientation to the world is privileged in the United States. And so much like any other intersecting identity category, if we want to attend to questions of privilege and marginalization, I think we do have to attend to the ways in which this persistent Protestant culture continues to privilege particular people. Now, privilege is something that uh, as a DNI practitioner myself, I have heard a lot about. However, something new to me is Protestant privilege. If you can give us, give me, I'm going to challenge you, give me a one sentence definition. How many words you want, but keep it to one sentence. How would you define that for us? Oh gosh, that's a challenge. All right. Um, I would say that Protestant privilege reflects the ways in which seemingly secular American values that seem neutral actually work to further the privileging of already privileged populations. So it's a subtle privileging. It's not visible in the way that, say, race is. But I think in in attending to questions of privilege, attending to this adds a layer of nuance that's helpful. So somebody somebody like me, how is this different from, like, Christian privilege? Because there there is a nuance there that I do want us to put out there. Yeah, that's a great question. So I think there's been a number of productive conversations lately on the question of Christian privilege, particularly in the workplace, as a sort of social advantage that Christians enjoy in this country, where their conscious and unconscious beliefs are prioritized over non-Christians, both religious and non-religious. Uh, So some maybe obvious examples of that include, um, you know, knowing that you'll have time off to celebrate your religious holidays. So Christmas, for example. Right, right. Um, Yeah, like being able to worship freely without sort of any threat of violence or threats is sort of a Christian privilege. Seeing your faith positively reflected in media is sort of a Christian privilege. This is very particular to sort of the Christian identity and folks who like actively identify as Christian. Um, What I'm arguing is that, so as as important as this is and something worth considering, I attend to something a bit more subtle, which is the privileging of Protestant, and here's a lowercase Protestant, and I can explain what I mean by that, but a Protestant ways of moving through and engaging with the world that continues to privilege individuals in even in spaces and times that seem entirely neutral and secular and non-religious in nature. So this is, and, and this has very little to do with denominational affiliation. So it's not that mainstream Protestants, I guess that's not the privileging I'm talking about. While I think mainstream Protestants do enjoy quite a bit of privilege in this country, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm talking more about the, the Protestant values that we're all told to strive to emulate. So a Catholic could be, as much in pursuit of this Protestant privilege, even though they may identify as Catholic. Right, right. So I think that Christmas one is a very tangible, something people can identify like, oh, yes, in American culture, we expect to have the holiday, when we say holiday break, it my mind automatically goes to December, it goes to Christmas time. That's what we're thinking. But we know very well that there are holidays, celebrations, uh, um, uh, ceremonies throughout traditions throughout the calendar year that are just as important to other religions and people of faith. So tell me more of how do we come to be that way? Let's go just a tiny bit of history here. Why is it that American secularism has been around since it seems since the very beginning? 
Yeah. So um, I would even go a little further back and say that the values. Please do. Yeah. So the values that I'm talking about, um, these include commitment to individualism, self-control, self-discipline, hard work, all date, you know, as many scholars have found, certainly not just me, to um, the time around the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century in Europe. And so these are the values that emerged that were um, interconnected with the emerging Protestant community. And um, as many who might be interested in American history know, you know, it was this community, parts of this community that largely settled the New World, at least on the eastern seaboard, and had the largest role in defining what sorts of values would be meaningful in the new first colonial context and then later, you know, America as a nation and the values that it took to be its own. So American values have come to be understood as American individualism, self-control, self-discipline, the bootstrap myth, the American dream. These are all things that I think we can tie to that earlier Protestant culture that came here from the continent and that has flourished and continues to flourish today, even in spaces that we might consider devoid of those sorts of values or religious identities. So secular spaces. Right, right. And so, so it's been around since that, that Protestant Reformation times. So, so even pre, you know, U.S. as we know it. And so when you're talking about this individualism, about this bootstrap mentality, about an over-reliance on, on the individual and such, is that the Protestant ethic or is that something different? Yeah, you're hitting the nail on the head there. So yeah. um, not to get too academic, but uh, a sociologist in the early 20th century proposed a theory that he called the Protestant ethic. Well, his book was titled The Protestant Ethic and the Spirit of Capitalism. And he mm-hmm, argued mm-hmm. that modern capitalism is very much intertwined with the emergence of these Protestant values, that modern capitalism reflects the values Values have already articulated self-control, self-discipline, hard work that emerged around the Protestant Reformation and that we don't have modern capitalism as we know it today without this sort of religious revolution that happened, you know, largely in the 16th century. And so um, these are the values that have evolved, I argue, and others have argued, into American sort of secularized, neutralized American values. Right. And I find it so interesting. So connecting it to the workplace, let's bring it back to, to contemporary times where if I were, if I were to go ask a manager, like, what are some of the, some of the, the characteristics you want in your employees? They're going to say, I want them to be self-disciplined. I want them to be hard workers. I want them to be able to pull themselves up from the bootstraps. And I never thought about how we've become socialized to make those just normal you know, in quotes, our listeners can feel my air quotes here, uh, normal uh, uh, values, American values. Right, right. And so it's, um, yeah, it's a really compelling insight when you see that. And certainly I'm not arguing that only, you know, Western Protestants are hardworking or that that's only a value of sort of westernized Christianity. But this sort of overemphasis on hard work being located in the individual and the individual's success directly tied to their ability to perform hard work in a capitalist system is something that I think we might attend to through that matrix, attending to Western culture as well as Protestant, the Protestant Reformation. 
So what are maybe some of the values, and this might be outside of the Protestant ethic, what are some of the values that that are not part of the Protestant ethic that maybe have become normalized in American culture? Ooh, what are some values that have been normalized that aren't the Protestant ethic? That, excuse me, that were not normalized, not normalized. Oh, okay, sure, sure, okay. Um, I think a more collaborative attitude um, mm-hmm. You know, I think we like to pay lip service to teamwork, for example, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but by and large, people being rewarded in a workplace are individuals who do well. Um, so I don't think that teamwork is the most valued uh, value, so to speak, <laughs> in the United States. Um, I think the overemphasis on the individual as the primary unit of experience is very mm-hmm. particular. So um, in other parts of the world, rather than attending to the individual's experience, you might attend to a family unit's experience as the primary experience of the world. So this overemphasis on individualism, I think, is particular. And I, think- you know, I, find, I find that interesting because I, I think teamwork is something that is said a lot. But in the end, we do always look at the captain of the football team, at the CEO with their golden parachute, um, not to get political here, or the, you know, the, the, the lead singer, right? We always look at those forefront leaders as, as we give them the most value out of the entire team. Mm-hmm. I think, and I think that's a very good example of just seeing the world in a way that favors the individual, rather than mm-hmm. some sort of communal effort, um, I think is a good example of this playing out in sort of Western American culture. So so let, let's bring it back to specifically this Protestant ethic and the spirit of capitalism. And how, I would love to hear what you think about how this could impact maybe the treatment of lower level employees or those employees that maybe won't fit into that Protestant ethic, but still bring value to the workplace. How, how, how would this ethic and the spirit affect them or impact them? That's a great question. Um, I think that the dark side of this whole dynamic is that in locating success entirely on the shoulders of the individual, we often don't attend to the institutionalized ways many individuals are primed to succeed or fail. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so... Um, I'm trying to think of a concrete example of how this might play out. Um, like if you're in a workplace where you are rewarded for hard work by staying late or working extra hours or being never able taking to, vacation, right. Uh, picking up extra shifts, even if mm-hmm. you're doing shift labor, how do you succeed if you're an employee who comes in, who has a very rigid schedule because perhaps you're a single parent and you can't work late. You have to pick up your kid. You can't pick up shifts you know, when we articulate the sort of amorphous quality of hard work with success that leaves out so many people who may work hard during their assigned shift, but who may be unable to pick up an extra shift or work a holiday or, you know, whatever it might be, you know, how are we leaving these folks behind in favor of those who have the privilege of doing those sorts of things? And I, I could I could definitely see also an adverse impact on on women mm-hmm. where there are times, you know, during motherhood, for example, where they have very rigid schedules, like you said. Another example that I can see, you know, bringing it to religion is 
during Ramadan, mm -hmm. where our Muslim brothers and sisters, like they have a very set schedule or they're impacted by the fasting that happens during that time. And in a Christian normative or Protestant normative, you know, society, we're like, why are they, you know, mm -hmm. not as productive right now where everybody else is? I can see those as concrete examples as well. That's, that's excellent. And your example just there made me think of, you know, the way you frame that for, say, a Muslim in the middle of Ramadan who may, mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I've never participated in Ramadan directly, but, you know, like you said, maybe there's a bit of a hit to productivity given everything that's going on with Ramadan. Even that reflects a Protestant orientation, um, a division between private and public life, where it's like mm -hmm. your private life should not impact your articulation of your public self. So hard work right. should never be impacted by what's going on. There's a division between what I do at home stays at home or in the church, mm -hmm, perhaps. Mm -hmm. It doesn't impact my ability to work hard in the workplace. And that's a very particular orientation that globally, I think we'd be surprised to find folks who make that distinction so easily. And certainly Protestants don't either, to be honest, but it's this illusion of being able to leave religion at home and not have it impact work performance. You know, it's an illusion that this sort of persistent Protestant culture presents that isn't actually accurate for anyone. You know, I think it, it it really benefits. I think that is by design because it benefits a more capitalist minded uh, society where we have a emphasis on these outputs. Right. And, and on outputs and making those widgets or making those units mm -hmm. of service. And if it impacts this, that's why we're encouraged to leave certain aspects at home or not bring things from work to the home, you know, vice versa. Or we need to be real, at least I think, and we need to recognize that it, it's all in an open system, as in it all affects one another. Certainly. And I think, you know, it's the assumption that, you know, it reflects the ability, the primacy of Protestantism to define appropriate experiences of religion in this country, because religion for the, pro you know, generally speaking in a Protestant culture happens in private or in the church it's siloed in the individual experience. It isn't the product of a communal ritual per se that bleeds into other aspects of life. And so in that way, you know, it doesn't leave space for folks who participate in prayer five times a day, you know, that right, can't occur right. in the home or in the mosque that exactly. must occur in public space where they're spending their time, such as schools or workplaces or other public spaces that it just doesn't leave a lot of room for that. So we definitely want to encourage our listeners, those managers and directors out there, is how can we rethink our work policies to make accommodations for those that aren't that Protestant normalization, right, or socialized in that way, or they practice a different religion or faith and such. And let me, Emma, if it's okay with you, let me switch gears a little bit. What lessons can we take from the Protestant ethic maybe that has not been applied to American secularism. So, so what's what's a Protestant ethic um, that could benefit our society right now? That's a great um, that's a great question. You know, no one's ever asked me that question directly. It's a great question, though. <laughs> um, if I were trying to answer it on the fly, I think you know um, it's easy to critique, and I think we should critique this overemphasis on the individual and self-discipline and self-control mm -hmm. as being sort of the pinnacle expressions of like human success. 
That said, if we want to retain something from the Protestant ethic, I think we could retranslate those concepts towards the individual in a way that benefits the individual holistically and not just Mm -hmm. in a capitalist Mm -hmm. sense. So if we expanded the understanding of what is self-control, what is self-discipline, maybe a more holistic interpretation of that is I discipline myself to only work the hours I'm paid for. There we go. Self-care in the other hours, you know, and, and that could be an interpretation potentially of the Protestant ethic reimagined in a more healthy framework. I think you answered that perfectly, that reimagining that, that holistic lens that we want to take for this ethic. And we can apply that to either to, to self-discipline is a great one. Um, great job on answering that. I think that that's a great way for us to look at it. So from there, Let's talk. Let's go back to talking about privilege. So, so here at Tri Faith, we're starting the process of recognizing the importance of white privilege in diversity and equity inclusions uh, conversations and such. So, where does Protestant, Protestant, uh, big P Protestant secular privilege fall in this conversation? Do we talk before at white privilege, after white privilege, at the same mm-hmm. time? What's the order of operations here? Yeah. So. Um... If we accept a framework that suggests that the Protestant ethic proposes that individual success is best measured um, in their productivity in the workplace, so in in their ability to properly perform capitalism in some way, you know, an obvious question to ask historically, let's say here, is what about populations that have like intentionally been prevented from achieving that? So you know, BIPOC bodies that have been enslaved certainly were hard working, but not given the opportunity to see the fruits of their hard work for mm-hmm. their own individual mm-hmm. success. So there's an institutionalized way that this has been used to articulate who has access to proper performances of the Protestant ethic. And if you're, uh, you know, it's not at its most basic level hard work, but who's being rewarded for hard work? Who's, right. who's enjoying the fruits of their hard labor? And certainly people who were enslaved couldn't do that by definition. You know, other ways we see this is perhaps less obvious ways is just the ways in which class privilege impacts this equation. So as we all know, you know, if you have access to wealth in some ways, you're more likely to have access to good education, higher education, higher income eventually, Um, And those things are all deeply tied into questions of particularly race, but also other questions of gender, sexuality, and other identity categories. And so um, I think we need to attend to this darker dynamic that, um, you know, one of the products of the Protestant ethic and its emphasis on individualism, like I said before, is this sort of shielding of institutionalized privileging that we see mm-hmm, occurring mm-hmm. everywhere in American culture and how it isn't as simple as, well, if an individual works hard enough, they will succeed in this country. There are myriad ways in which institutionally this just isn't true. And so I think we have to strip away the Protestant ethic in that way to sort of reveal these institutionalized concerns that I think we should all have. And uh, me as a as a Latino and my parents growing up and working very hard and they worked very hard and pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and really adopted that uh, that that Protestant ethic. But they, you know, they did not get 
to be the CEO or um, even a director or even a manager, right? Uh, not even a supervisor level. And so there is, there, there we, when we talk about America, we have to talk about that white privilege. We have to talk about the systemic oppression, about the systemic institutionalized racism that does exist. And, and so I'm, I'm glad we're able to just touch on that subject. So there are many organizations that, that maybe are unaware that this privilege exists or they've been socialized and normalized in this Protestant ethic way. But there are some organizations that maybe are able to see it. They, they, they recognize it and they value it and the importance of, of, of tackling it. So what would be a suggestion from you for these organizations? They're able to see it. What could they do? What can they do to improve or mitigate or mediate, whatever the right verb is here, um, this privilege? That's a great question. And I think, you know, I, I'm of two minds on this because, you know, I'm, I'm sort of fundamentally deeply skeptical of achieving this in a inherently capitalist society. You know, I mm-hmm. just have mm-hmm. very specific reservations around that. But if we are trying to be solution oriented and come up with ways that, all right, it's not perfect, but what can we do? Right, right. <laughs> you know, I think redefining success and hard work outside of like sheer hours worked, for example, right, um, right. attending to, you know, what has been the product of the workday and is, you know, if that product is valuable, I think we should value that even if that means the individual working doesn't work past five or, you know, um, you know, that's kind of a silly example, but I think there are other ways, you know, I think honestly, from an institutionalized standing, it's not enough to ask your employees to lean in or show initiative. It's like pay your employees a fair wage that is equitable across gender sexual identities, racial identities, you know, those are ways in which you can acknowledge how Protestant privilege, along with racial privilege, gendered privilege, have uplifted particular people over time and throughout history. And how we can rectify that to some degree is starting with a fair wage, Mm -hmm. starting with Mm -hmm. uh, allowances for people who have childcare responsibilities, attending to people who have other responsibilities in their private lives that, um, you know, the Protestant ethics kind of tells us we need to leave in private and rather, you know, allow for those things to holistically impact people as they always do and always will do. And also making space for people, allow people to pray or or Mm -hmm. hold holiday when their faith uh, usually has it and not to get stuck in the, hey, in the winter is what we call it a traffic. Don't get stuck in winter where you, you're thinking just more that Christmas time, that New Year's time, uh, et cetera. Also, and not, not, you know, I think on top of that, also not hiding behind a label of being secular. I don't think that's enough because secular Claiming that our workplace is fair and equitable because it is secular is not enough to account for the ways in which that very orientation towards work life and life in this country already privileges Christianity in particular, Protestantism. Right, right. So it isn't equitable if you automatically get Christmas off, it's a federal holiday, but you're not getting other holidays off. And claiming some sort of access to secularity is not enough to justify that. Right. So, so for those listeners that maybe might not know what, what secular means, maybe in the workplace, how do we define a business being, quote, secular? 
Sure. Like a, a business that might claim to be secular is one that would say, we aren't favoring Christians here. We just don't allow time off for religious observance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the response to that is, you know, and I, obviously this this doesn't apply to every business, but if that business is closed on Sunday, they are accommodating predominantly Christian patterns of living. Are they closed on Christmas? Then they're already accommodating Christian holidays, whether or not they're doing it because they're actually committed to those things doesn't really matter. It's already working to privilege particular identities. And and I, I can already I can already see people saying, oh, wait, but those are federal holidays. I have to be or should be or am expected to be closed. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a bigger conversation to have mm-hmm. in, in a larger political government context of, well, hey, this is why we're creating a Protestant privilege here in the United States, because are we federally mandated to be that way? Right, right. And it sort of, um, you know, passes the buck a little bit. It's like, well, I'm only doing what I'm expected to do. Well, that's not Mm -hmm. enough. And that doesn't acknowledge the ways in which, like, no one's suggesting Protestant privilege only exists in the workplace. It it exists in governmental structures, in legal structures, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. it's everywhere. And so, yeah, it's not enough to say, well, I just offer federal holidays. Well, it's interesting that federal holidays observe Christian holidays, you know. Right, right, right. And do you feel that that it's... I, I feel like passing the buck is a good way to to characterize secularism because I, I see companies just say we are secular, mm-hmm. th- therefore you know we're good, we're we're fine. Why is that the wrong way to think about it? Well, you know, my larger project really attends to an argument I make and others have made that mm-hmm. American secularism is its own cultural formation with its own values and commitments and rituals that are not divorced from the Protestant culture that supposedly preceded it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so any claim to standard, what we might think of as sort of standard American secularism has already sort of pointed to these Protestant commitments that define that very secularism. Um, So there's no way of really getting outside of that. I guess what I'm saying is like in a real sense, there is no secularism when Protestantism has some power in defining the very nature of secularism. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This might require a stronger uh, or a deeper dive, but how can we make uh, secularism truer to its actual definition versus you know, uh, with, with this veneer or this influence of Protestantism? Yeah, I, you know, I think that's a great question. And I think that's what a lot of sort of popular pundits point to. And what I would say is I, I just, it's, there, there's no purity in secularism. And so there's no point in, in striving for that because it really is a veiled um reference to more privileged identities that are connected with religious identities, particularly Christianity. And so, you know, I don't know that striving for a purer form of secularism is helpful. I actually think doing the work you guys do to attend to how do we better address diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace Mm -hmm. in a more varied way in a more robust conscious way is much more productive than trying to strip those things out of the workplace in right. some sort of pursuit of a pure secular environment 
I I love the the tack that you took with it for us to lean into the DEI practices for us to be more inclusive, mm-hmm. um, to welcome that diversity so we can build that equity that we're all working towards or hope to work towards. Uh, Emma, this has been a great conversation. I've absolutely enjoyed it. Is there anything else that you want to leave our audience with from our conversation today? Well, thank you for having me. I guess I would just say, um, I would just encourage folks to think when they hear of something being secular space or mm-hmm. that secularism is supposedly neutral, you know, that they question that and sort of, you know, it's just like, um, I don't mean to draw a clunky analysis, but to me, it's almost like saying, well, I don't see color. Well, it's, right. it's privileged gotcha. to say that, you know, secularism mm-hmm. doesn't mm-hmm. exist for many of us, although it exists more for those in privilege. So whenever you hear someone making claims towards, uh, you know, a secular space or secularism, you know, maybe ask a question, think about it a little more and see if there aren't ways in which that space, you know, may fail to be purely secular and, and look for the ways in which it works to privilege particular communities. I, I love that perspective. Thank you for leaving us with that. Let's embrace diversity. Let's honor the differences and let's work towards being inclusive of that diversity again as we work towards equity. This has been Emma and Eric here on our Religion at Work podcast. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>